millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode, A Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. Let's uh, go to China, right? We're going to China. Thank you, Jack. My, hold on, I'm going to push in my keyboard if you guys hear a bump. Okay, sorry. We um, we're gonna. I gotta thank Jack, my friend in China, who came through again with some amazing links to uh, to some stuff, which I you know translate on Google Translate, and here we are. So we're we're gonna have two things today. Uh, the first one is called the Battle of B. Let's B I, and it was fought in 597, and between the states of Chu and Jin, and this. Is about thirty-five. I think it's exactly thirty-five years, actually, after the Battle of Chenpu, which we covered, and that's when Jin had decisively defeated Chu. That was the one where they put the tiger skins on the chariots, and they made a they made like a cloud of dust with the branches and all that. So Chu lost that battle thirty-five years ago. So they're kind of mad. Okay, now it's time for vengeance. Correct, and it's. As you recall, we're we're in the spring and autumn period still, which we're going to be in for another hundred and some years. So this is considered the spring and autumn period of Chinese history. Yes. And so these two states were at this point are the two most powerful of the time. To, among the two, there's a few big you know states. Um, you remember the the Zhao, the Zhou is the king, and these are all the vassals. So I don't think we have to keep saying that every time anymore. I think we got it. Yeah. So the state, and if you remember, I did mention this before, the state of uh, Chu. Their territory encompassed uh, many of non-Chinese com- cultures, too. And it was considered like a half-civilized state at best. So they sort of had like an inferiority complex. Um, and it's like to, I said- the, to the south of uh, the capital, right? Yes, it's to the south, and the Jin is to the north, with the capital in between. Uh-oh. Yeah. So 
if that, the, the big rivalry came to a head back, like we said, at the Battle of Chengpu, that's when Duke, that's when Duke Wen of Jin became the hegemon. That's Chonger. That's the guy that ate his friend's thigh. Remember that? Yeah, the cannibal king. The cannibal king, right. So um, after his death, Chu attempted to reassert its position with some norm, um, uh, with some northern campaigns. But with um, with Zhao, with Zhou being there in the center, they didn't really, and Jin was still the hegemon, so they didn't really have much. It was just more like jockeying and posturing for 35 years here. Yes. So anyway... The situation changed in around 601 BC with the death of Zhao Dun, as well as the death of Duke Chang of Jin. Zhao Dun was a uh, minister. Ministers are really important in, in China in these times. At least we know about them. I, I don't I don't like really recall hearing a lot about the ministers in Assyria and Babylonia, do you? Well, we had a few in Assyria, but not many. And they're not so important. It just seems like, you know, like in China, they're like, oh, we have this guy or that guy, you know, who had... um. If you remember, we had all different ones, so they're more they're more well known and famous, I guess, than the actual kings. Huh. Yeah, uh, the king is really unimportant. Yes, or the real king, yeah, for sure. So what happened is, as they usually do, they pick one of these little states to go after, right? And so they, um, yeah. So Jin, okay, is the is the guarantor. They're the hegemon, and they're um, they would protect the state of Zheng. Right, which is sort of in between. Zhang is close to um, the Zhao, so they're an ally of the Jin. All but, right. So then they, I always get these. You know, I got this, but I'm telling you, it gets confusing with the names. So, but then Zhang switched their allegiance to Chu, but the the, the Jin didn't know this yet. They thought that the Chu were attacking them. So the, the the Jin had a new commander. He was you know young or new. So he sent his forces to um, relieve Zhang. But he didn't. Then he learned that they had already surrendered and switched, so there was, you know, really no point in having a war. So at the, at the same time, the Chu armies retreated um, by thirty li, and li is l i, which is very convenient. That fo- thirty li is fifteen kilometers. Oh, so, that's convenient. Very convenient. So anytime it's a, I guess uh, you know we can always know what it is. So the Chu armies retreated 30 li, 15 kilometers. They decamped and they waited for um, to see if the Jin were going to, you know, make an offensive. So the Jin supreme commander, after he heard the, the Zheng's switch of allegiance, was in favor of retreating. But his second in command maintained that it would be cowardly to avoid battle because they were the hegemon. And so he, on his own, led his troops across the Yellow River without instructions from the, you know, from the supreme commander. Which I cut out the names because it's too confusing. Yeah, so, it sounds terribly stupid to just go ahead. It does. And attack. Right? He just went ahead and to just attack on his own. So then the rest of the army figured it was attacking, so they followed suit and started to to march ahead. You know, and this is fifteen kilometers away, so there's still some time here. Yep. And meanwhile, on the Chu side, they had their king with them. Their duke is technically, but you know, really, in all intents and purposes, he's the head of you know. He's the head of state there. He's I the call him the Duke, I feel. Right, he's the Duke, right. But he's like, but he's still not like a minister. He's still a, you know, hereditary position, right? So he's, you know, for all intents and purposes, when you have the, the Duke there, it's not like just having a commander. Yeah, so, putting like European titles on these guys makes it confusing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because a lot of times when you read the, the translations from Chinese, it does come up king. But then you'll find out later that when one guy actually called himself king, that was a big deal. And this is like 100 years from now. So there must be another word in Chinese, and I'm not even going to try to figure out what that is. 
So the number one guy on the southern Chu side is right. intimidated. Correct. But um, and even his commander, he was in favor of retreat, right? Because these these are coming. But another Chu commander, he advised against this, and his reasoning was the inexperience of the Jin supreme commander because he was new, and the rashness of the other guy, the number two in command. He's the one who just brought his people across the you know without getting orders, and so and just the fact that there was a conflict between them, and then like I said, I was saying before, also that the Jin army was led by subordinates. And not while the king, you know, the Duke of Chu was actually there. And it would be dishonorable for them to retreat. So it's dishonorable to retreat if you're the hegemon. And it's dishonorable to retreat if the Duke slash king is there. Uh, well, so, you, you better just not retreat then. Let's find yeah, it out. have at it. We're going to find out. And there's this, this, in retreating, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a little foreshadowing because this is awesome. So they res- the Chu dissolved, resolved to face down the Jin army. And they were actually having a negotiations for a truce uh, at their camps, but they just figured they're coming, let's go. So the battle began when two generals from the Jin army, they were dissatisfied with the Supreme Commander's hesitation, decided to provoke the Chu forces. So King Zhuang, the, the, the king of Chu, right, the duke, personally pursued the generals. And then the Jin Supreme Commander sent a force to escort these two generals back to the Jin lines, like saying, what, you know, no. But the rolling dust from the relief force, from them coming, was mistaken as a general advance of the whole Jin army. So then fearing that the king could be cut off from the, from the army because the king, or the king slash duke of Chu was, you know, moving, the general ordered a, a general advance, like the full advance of the Chu army. So the unexpected attack just overwhelmed the Jin forces. <laughs> Okay. So Duke, Duke Zhuang. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just inside joke laughing here. Dan doesn't want me saying king and duke all the time. Um, upon winning the battle, he led his generals to water their horses from the Yellow River. And there was a request from the generals to destroy the remnants of the forces of the Jin army. But uh, Duke said, with the humiliation of Cheng Pu avenged, there was no need for more slaughter. But now, here's the cool part. Check this out. The Jin, the Chu army actually taught the Jin army how to escape. It's, it's a bizarre little story. So because they were escaping, um, there was so many uh, troops and they couldn't move. And they had, um, you know, uh, chariots and stuff. And they were all in a mess. Like, this is how you slaughter your enemies, right? They're all bundled together. They're all Their chariots are all getting tied up. So the people, the, the Chu soldiers told the uh, Jin soldiers to remove the crossbars in front of the chariots to avoid the mutual interference. Like that helps them get away better. So then the, uh, so the Jin soldiers did that, but then they started to get all tangled up again. So then they, the Chu told them, also throw away the flags, because there must be flags like holding things up and stuff, and also throw away the crossbars at the end of the chariot. So this helped them to escape even better. So the, the people of Jin did that, and so like they did escape. Better, but they turned around and mocked the Chu, saying that they're not like the Chu, who have been defeated and fled so many times. They didn't know how to retreat like they did. <laughs> why? Uh, why can you remove the crossbar and the chariot still works? What's the crossbar for? Hey, you know, I I don't quite know. I would just have to say it must be something that gets in the way. Maybe it works for a while without the crossbar, but it's uh, sort of better to have one. I mean, it's probably you need it for the war, for using it for battle, but for just like hauling ass out of there, you probably don't need it. 
So Southerners from Chu are great at escaping, so now they teach the art of running away. <laughs> Pair, that's what the Jim say. So they like they're in the when we get into the warring states, if we get that far, which we will, because our patrons and our friends and our fans love us. It's going to be a couple hundred years. There's a lot more killing, but they say that it was you know much more gentlemanly here in the spring and autumn period. And um, that's nice. So like, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I got a couple comments from the. I got a couple comments from the um, the article, the Chinese article that I got this from. So, the, and uh, the one guy says, at that time there were regulations in the war. Soldiers with gray hair cannot be killed. Young soldiers cannot be killed. The enemy cannot be chased if they fled three miles away. And generals and soldiers who were captured could not be killed. A ransom was required. I mean, I could believe that because you see all these. We've talked about it before. How they, you know, how they were more gentlemanly in the in this period, more of like with honor. And you have to remember too; these vassals were all originally, except for the Chu, were originally from the same same people. They were just you know different nobles and dukes generations before moved out. So they're kind of like a civil war in a way. So they don't want to like slaughter each other. Interesting fact. And then this guy, other guy, says, the war between the Warring States period was quite civilized in a laughing face, because it is kind of funny. They're still killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, I, I, by, when I was doing this research, I found this other little story here. And I just, it goes back to 626, so it's close enough. I just can't, I love these stories. I just can't um, let it go. And I hope I get the you know, get this so you can follow along with me here. 626. <laughs> Okay, so this guy's name, Duke Chen of Chu. Yes. Right? So he died in 626. And that's his posthumous towel. So his posthumous towel is Cheng. So in 672, his older brother, King Duao, tried to kill him. Duke, ah, tried to kill him. And so he escaped. He attacked and killed his brother with the help of the state of Sui, and he succeeded as the Duke of Chu. So I'll try to say that a bunch of times fast. So basically, he became king in 673, Duke 673, after killing his brother. Yes. So in the 46th year of his reign, he wanted to make his son named Sheng Chen his crown prince. Now, his prime minister advised against this, he fearing that there was too many contenders for the position, if he were to change his mind and act to replace the crown prince, a disturbance would ensue. He warned him that this Shangshan guy was cruel and a fierce man and unsuitable for the position. But not heeding the advice, he made Shangshan his crown prince. But soon he did change his mind. And rumors spread that the crown prince was, this, you know, the one he changed his mind to was about to be deposed. And another son, Xi, he was going to be made the new crown prince. So Shangshan, the, the fierce, you know, bad guy, he wasn't sure whether to believe the rumors. So like everybody has a tutor or an advisor. So like his advisor advised him to throw a banquet for the king's favorite concubine, but to treat her very disrespectfully during the banquet. And so he did just that. And the, and, um, the concubine, which was angered by the poor treatment, said to the crown prince, prince, it's suitable that your father wants to kill you and make Xi his crown prince. Now, sure of his father's intentions, the prince's advisor said, are you able to serve under your brother, Xi? No, he said. Wait, are you going to go into exile? No. Remember, he's a fierce man. So he said, are you able to do something big? Yes, the prince replied. So he led Paris, the palace troops to surround his father and force him to commit suicide. And 
So the, the, the Duke Cheng here, he asked if he could eat a bear paw before, I guess bear paw is like a, a delicacy or something, before dying. He was trying to stall and hope there that must, his troops would come some, to save him. Uh, there must be some sort of symbolic meaning here. It could he, be. Yeah, like, hang on, don't kill me just yet. I have to eat this bear paw. <laughs> <laughs> do you have those things? Don't they call it, what do they call it? A bear claw? Like it's a, like it's a pastry? Yeah, I think they no. Call it, we call it a bear claw. I think it's a big ass pastry. It's like a Danish. Okay, Danish. I haven't heard of it. What do they call Danishes in Denmark? Do they call them Danishes? What's a <laughs> What's a Danish if it's not a <laughs> Danish person? There, yeah, it's like a it's like a bear claw. <laughs> it's like a Danish. It's like a it's a sweet. It's like a donut. It's a kind maybe, of donut. Oh, maybe smörbröd. That's oh that yeah, could, it could be, be something Swedish like term. that. Yeah, it could be something like that. It's like a bread like donut. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. With a little icing on it. Anyway, I think this. So this is a quote I wrote. I, I'm going to read this right from the. Um, well, he wasn't allowed to eat the bear paw. No, he wasn't allowed to eat the bear paw. So, so oh, here's so he asked if he could do it. He couldn't. So he was rebuffed. So he hung himself. So here's the best. I this is crazy. So, so while he's hanging neck dead, right? He's saying to the, his his advisor's minister. Now he's going to be the prime minister because the he's the new duke. He just says to the to the son, right, who just had his father hang himself. So, what posthumous title should we give the, your father? Because remember, you don't get those titles like Wen and remember Duke Wen, he was Chonger, so you don't get that title till you're dead, right? So, he said, what name should we give your father? And the minister was like brooding about how he had, about like what he did about the crown prince and how he was a fool. So, he wanted to use the word Ling, which means absurd and foolish. So, he's hanging there, right? Dead, he's like, eh, Let's call him Ling. So unexpectedly, the king apparently wasn't dead. <laughs> so he opened his eyes really wide, like, what? And he wouldn't close them. And he said, if the posthumous title is not good, I will not close my eyes. And <laughs> so he said, fine, use the word Chang. <laughs> and Chang is a means of person that, used, that has virtue. So then he closed his eyes and died. <laughs> Interesting. 
And I'm sorry, I just laugh about somebody dying like that, but I just think that's crazy. So, yeah, this is what I think. This is kind of, I guess, what it says, the quotes from the uh, historian's records. Zhao Zhuan records, in the 10th month of winter, the king was surrounded by palace armor. The king asked to eat a bear to kill him. For listening, Ding Wei, Wang Hang, posthumously, he said, spirit. And he did not sleep. When he said Chang, he did not sleep. And his son, Cheng Chen, ascended the throne. That's okay. really a confusing Chinese translation, and maybe we'll just cut that out. No, but I think I can uh, understand it. Uh, so maybe you ate the bear paw to kill yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it seems that hanging is preferable to dying from eating a bear paw. Right, but he was or, saying to eat the bear paw because he was hoping his troops would save him before he ate it. Well, maybe the bear paw was still attached to the bear. Because the quote said the king asked to eat a bear to kill him. Yeah. So maybe he just wanted to bite a bear in the paw and then the bear would kill him. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you got to be careful. You know, the bear doesn't kill who's ever holding the bear, too. We got to put them together in a cage, I guess, and let them fight it out. Can you imagine that, though? He's just hanging there. He opens his eyes. What? I don't want to be known as that. King uh, Foolish. That's not my name. No. <laughs> Crazy. That's it. That's what I got for China today. Amazing. We have to talk about something more in this episode. We probably should. Should we go to India? We could, because, you know, somebody is born here. And maybe we, I would like to cover, I would like to cover um, the um, Indian um, philosophers of the time, because we're coming, we're in the 500s, right? So mm. who's born now is... It's um, definitely not Buddha, because that's later. It's later, but not much later. Buddha's the 500s. Um, maybe this maybe it's the, even maybe it's even in the four hundreds, uh, but maybe. that's contested. Yes, but this guy, his name is ready. I'm ready. Vardhamana, also Vardhamana. known as Vardhamana, also known as Mahavira, which means great hero, and he's the sage that's credited with founding the um, non-theistic religion of Jainism. That's a belief system from this time, you know, well, he's just born. So I don't think he came out of his mother's womb talking about it. It's, um, it provides adherence with a disciplined path towards spiritual liberation. So what I understand about the Jains are they're very, very, very like vegetarian. Like they don't even, they can't even be like farmers because they can't kill bugs. And I believe they say a prayer, you know, like every morning on their, about their, on their feet and things to, you know, apologize for anything they step on by accident and things like that. And this will turn into a huge thing, right? Yeah, apparently. Yes. I know that in the future, there's a one, a, a, one of the, um, in the, like the 300s after Alexander comes into India, one of the um, uh, king, he, end up, he ends up um, pretty much like conquering all of India and then becomes a Jainist. And like, just, you know, he's so sad that he did this, killed all these people. Uh, oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and he changes his thing. He, I remember reading about that. I believe that's the Maran Empire. Yeah, that's, they, and, that's way they, in the future. Yeah, in the 300s. I think that's when it becomes a more, you know, common throughout India. They, they believe that, that their faith are older, that they're, that they're older than Hinduism. And okay. They, that's that's a pretty tall order. Yeah. And actually, to talk about India a little bit at this time, this is kind of the time when, when the Vedas are going to start getting written down. That's going to be in this century. It's, they're not getting written down because they don't have uh, any writing language yet. Oh. 
But this, it, it all comes down. Yeah, it all comes down orally, which is a super big problem. Ah, I see. Because they they've lost the writing language that we haven't interpreted from Mohenjo-daro and the Indus Valley civilization, and people still can't write in India at this time. But this is the time when the Aryans and the Indo-Europeans are merging. I'm really pretty sure with the with the you know local Indians, and that these the Vedic traditions are being, and you know as far as the. And, you know, someone could correct us if we're wrong, please. Yes, they go back uh, way, uh, it's way before this, but it's happening here still. Right. So, but it's I, uh, it's a very uh, controversial subject. It could be. Yes, it could. And that's true. True, very true. So, but these great texts, they are constructed in in this era and even before, but it's uh, it all comes down orally. Yeah. But somehow, you know, they they could kind of figure out the time by the words, I guess. You know, the like even the Bible, how we have oral traditions, and then when it's written, we know. I mean, it might have been written in 400 BC, but we know that the older stories probably came from a different time when the other ones came from a, a later time, just by the just by the way the stories are. Definitely, but as I said before, Indian history at this time is problematic because there are current political issues that are affected by it, and uh, people. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to wade into that. Just so it's also knows. incredibly hard to do archaeology at some places in India, but and there are also this um, DNA testing stuff that's going on right now that has provided some recent data on this. But uh, let's not go there this time. No, but when do you think that the, that the oral traditions of the like Mahabharata and stuff are being like really solidified at this in these this century coming up? Anyway, I think definitely. Yeah. Sort of the culmination of the clash of the cultures of the Indo-Europeans and the the people that were there. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to dig into it more for sure. So, and I guess I could talk a little also about. Um, I started to. I, I reached out to um, the, the person who has the Ancient Americas um, YouTube channel, and he recommended some books for me. And um, you know, the Shavin. Oh, interesting. And, yeah. And so one of the things, I'm not sure, I hope you didn't already talk, I know we talked about their drug use and stuff, but I, I believe what, what I'm finding and believing that what's really happening there was very similar to what was going on at Gadobi Tepe in, you know, 10,000 BC, where this was a ceremonial center where the hunter-gatherer type, you know, they, they, there was farming and these people aren't like primitive, just like living in caves and picking berries that they find. Let's... We have to realize that, like, ancient people knew how to grow things. They just didn't necessarily have a, a farm. They knew how to, like, make a hill that had berries on it, be a better hill with berries, and take the weeds off it, and just go there when the berries come in, using berries as a term, you know, for other natural things growing. But the Shavin were in a center location in those mountains between the um, the coast and the Amazon, which we have zero information on the Amazon tribes because there's no writing and it's just jungle. But there was a lot of trade going between those places. But the thing with the drug use is, I mean, you could kind of look at it like, it's like, it could almost be like an ancient, um, it's like an ancient, it's a religious center, but it could also be like entertainment. Basically, like he says, um, the Chauvin combined activities that we made separate into religion and entertainment, performance, and celebration into a seamless experience. And what the drugs that they were using was... um. A couple different kinds of drugs. So that's why it was like a biza, like it was a party place. People, you would go there for spirituality. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand how your use of this drug is like you know messing your serotonin and dopamine levels. You're literally thinking that the divine is you know coming to you. So what they used was um, 
uh, the San Pedro cactus, which has mescaline in it. And they also used um, this uh, powdered vilca, which comes from a, um, a tree, it's a vilca, this tree that has um, these beans on it, and they grind them up and make a spoon and they snuff it. And that's also hallucinogenic. So that's why you'll see a lot of the statues show them with the with the ghost, you know, mucus coming out their nose. And they also have like a weak beer called chica. I mean, it's probably like a, a beer type of bever- alcoholic beverage. So, so, I mean, man, they were partying. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. And, you know, people still use that stuff today. They really say it. Like, did you, have you read it? I mean, they say like mushrooms now. They're using it to fight alcoholism, severe PTSD, like for, you know, people just severe depression. They say it just like, like eliminates your sense of self and you could just really connect with the, you know, with that, with the oneness, whether that's a real thing or it's just something in our head. It just, it does seem to be working. They're actually using it in clinical settings and, you know, these people were using it. This Uh, is the the era, you know, 600 BC, 700 BC. I wish they had uh, documented their activity for us. Yeah. I mean, it would also be nice if the Spanish didn't destroy everything when they came there. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And just, I mean, when you, you, when you kill that many people and leave such a small people left, it's hard to, like, keep the traditions, you know? Yeah. Do, uh, do, do the book have anything about how the Shavian uh, perished? Why their culture ended? Um, I didn't finish the chapter yet. So okay, we'll that's, come back to that's that. like you know. uh, 200 episodes from now. Yeah. So we'll get back well, to that. It's coming in the six. I'm pretty sure it's the 600s, the Shavian. I'm, the book, I, I'm just reading that chapter, too. It's only like 30 pages. I'll tell you the name of the book, because that's to be our source. The name of the book is The Ancient Central Andes. Amazing. I want to hear yeah. more about that. Yeah, so I'll read more, and we'll tell you guys a little bit more about that, too. Uh, one more thing about India that we didn't mention. Tell me. It seems to be that there are 16 Mahayana Padas, which means uh, great realms in India at this, to- this time. Oh, Yes. So Maha is great, and Yanapada is a foothold of a tribe or country. Okay. So these these 16 kingdoms are mentioned in a lot of these ancient texts. Okay. And it's sort of a belt stretching from pretty much Pakistan to Bangladesh uh, okay. in the north, with only Asaka being somewhat to the south on the peninsula. Okay. And they yeah. are, uh, oh, we, we won't list them. But uh, some of them we have mentioned before. Kuru, for example, was around in the in the 10th century BC, and I talked about it then. Oh, really? Okay. So this yeah, is I mean, sort of the scene before the rise of Buddhism in India. That's correct. That is a good point. Yeah. Uh, anything else from the Americas? Or that's all I have now. But if I find anything else, we will we'll still get it because I like I said I like to if I miss something and the Americas aren't going to ever be like oh I missed something happening. You know, 597 BC, because we really don't have exact dating on a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I do, I do want to try to keep covering it because, like I said, I feel that our podcast has everything that's going on in the world at the same time. You know, Syrian Empire is gone. Solon starts the democratic reforms in Greece, and the Shavin are snorting uh, hallucinogens and doing mescaline in the mountains. We do. do- did you have a new source, maybe, for the future for South Asia? Or like, I have to make a new friend. Nice. I should try. I've been trying. And um, you know what? I will keep trying. There is one YouTube channel I watch sometimes. 
It's this one guy. He's doing a lecture. They're very long. I start watching them, and it usually helps me. You know, I fall asleep. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's very relaxing. So I'm gonna try, try to start watching his stuff. And like you say, you got to wade through the the politics. Yeah, it would be interesting to know what's going on in uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we might. I think we might be able to get something. But we leave. Uh... China now, and next time we'll go somewhere else. Okay, we'll go to like Carthage or something, or maybe Jerusalem. Oh, maybe Jerusalem. That's a good idea. We're gonna have a special episode on Jerusalem. Yeah, that's another thing that's happening now. It's a big event. Honestly, this is big events in world history happening right here. As Jerusalem is in danger, mm-hmm. the Lord is not pleased with His people. No, nope. you know why? Wicked, wicked, wicked Manassas. It's all His fault. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great talking to you again. You too, Dan, as always. And remember to um, check out our Facebook page. If you check out our Facebook page, you notice that I changed the um, the background picture of Dan, myself, and Enki do live podcasting in Stockholm. Nice. Yeah. It's I my didn't... Facebook background too. Uh, I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I, I hadn't seen it. I know. It's that picture from Peter's office. Very nice. Oh, yes. Three handsome men. Amazingly handsome. <laughs> One with great tattoos of uh, Sumerian stuff. Yes, yes. Shout out to um, Enkidu. Yes, he's a great guy. All okay, right, well, speak to you next peace time. Out. Yes, peace out. Yes, catch you guys later. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.